Super Talk Mississippi media production. In Mississippi, with our ever-changing weather, termites and household pests can disrupt your family life and take a toll on your home. Call Family Termite and let us help protect your home. 601-933-1014. Or reach us at www.family-termite.com. What's up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Michael Borky in the co-host chair. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Monday. Uh, what day is it? Is it January 6th? It feels like the national championship should be today, but for some reason that no one can give me an answer to, it's not. Um, you need an extra week just to hype it up, I guess. I, I guess, but, like, man, these days they don't do it on New Year's Day or whatever, New, whatever it is, New Year's Eve. It just feels like it's even longer and longer. I don't think we had to wait this long last year. Maybe I'm wrong and just don't remember anything. Um, big weekend where we get into some NFL. Ole Miss did play a basketball game very poorly on Saturday. We'll get into that too. But a wild, wild, wild card weekend. And I think for the first time in my adult life, I got to act like an obnoxious, meat-headed sports fan on Saturday night. I was. Um, yes, you did. Yes, uh, <laughs> I was absolutely just enthralled by the Titans win. I got to poke fun at all my high school friends that are Saints fans. What's so funny about that is like the Saints don't actually really have bandwagon fans. Like from my experience, I would put it up there with like Bills, Steelers, really anyone in sports in general is one of the most loyal fan bases there is. But. I've come to realize my place in this world is to stir the pot. And so if you put <laughs> that notion out there, it makes them very angry. A, uh, a buddy of mine that actually went to high school, uh, well, I guess he went to the other high school a year above me, uh, responded to one of my snarky tweets about Saints fans and said, win a Super Bowl before you start talking shit. And I was like, look, man, this was my Super Bowl. This is the Tennessee Titans, and we just slayed a dynasty. So, um, And I was texting you and Richard and Hey Dad, um, I may or may not have had a cold beer or two on one of the local establishments on the square. Who's to say? No won't co- confirm way. or deny. But, buddy, I was on cloud nine on Saturday. What a <laughs> what a game. Man, and I've always made fun of the Patriots dynasty is over people, but I'm all on board uh, for that this year. It Everything about it feels different now. I just I, – I can't decide. So, one, I can't decide this because – I, I tend to agree with you. Like, I don't think it'll ever quite be the same because I, there's a couple of things that work here as to whether it's over or not. Because one, I think Brady could still play football. Like, I, I think he could still be a competent quarterback. I mean, hell, they just won the division for the umpteenth time in a row. They just didn't have the weapons this year. They did nothing to address the tight end uh, position after losing the greatest tight end ever. They whiffed on a receiver. Can you imagine if they had drafted a Metcalf or an A.J. Brown instead of Nikhil Harry? Like, we might be having a totally different conversation about what transpired over the weekend, or the Patriots might not have even had to play. It, it, in my opinion, it can make that big of a difference. Edelman does seem like a shell of himself, but my, I guess what I'm trying to get to is if they spend, if they decide to bring him back and they spend the offseason trying to actually surround him with competent weapons, does that make a difference? Like, will they be good again? I mean, they are good, but you see what I'm saying. Like, will they be the Patriots again? Um, not maybe so. I just I think the acquisition of talent takes multiple years to do, and they don't have that with Brady anymore. Like, Mohamed Sanu, I mean, they gave up, what, a second-round pick for him, and they don't use him. He was putting up numbers, relatively speaking, next to Julio Jones and, what was it, Calvin Ridley in Atlanta, but 
I mean, that's a good wide receiver that they traded for and don't really use. Yeah, and it's like one of those things. That, like, I've, like you've kind of just learned not to question it over the years. Like, if a guy's not being used, you just kind of assume with the Patriots he stinks. But for a guy that was super productive in Atlanta, I, I don't quite get that one either. That was a uh, that doesn't that trade doesn't really get talked about enough. But you remember at the time when they made it, it's like up oh, the AFC's over. Holy crap! And yeah, it just was kind of a whiff. Like I, I just I. Uh, I, I don't quite understand that. That was a that was a whiff. I mean, they they did try. I think this is part of the reason why Brady was so so. I don't want to say beaten up. I think he was just irritated with them not sticking behind Antonio Brown. And I, one way or another, if they kept him, whatever. If they didn't, I, I certainly understand that too. He was kind of a. Uh, I, I don't think you could realistically keep him from a PR standpoint for your organization. No, but I think you that's can't why he was so keep a guy that is has been accused of. And still investigated for sexual assault. Like he's yeah, keep I forget that was the last straw when that happened. Like that was the bombshell that came out because he's had so much. Ha- you talk about someone difficult to keep up with. Trying to, to keep up with that guy's news cycle is uh, exhausting. But that's well, right. He did. Yeah, you saw that he worked assault. out in New Orleans and what he did. Right. Yeah, he caught a vid- he sent a whole he brought a whole, whole video team and then called it a PR stunt. They like, specifically told him not to bring an entourage, show up by yourself, and he brings an entire video crew with him. And then says the Saints are the ones pulling the publicity yeah. stunt. There's some <laughs> irony in there somewhere, I think. Uh, you- the poor guy needs help, and just people just keep a name. I don't know, but. Point being, I think that's why Brady was so attached to that idea, though. I think he knew. Think he knew what? Like, I think he knew if we let this guy walk, we're screwed. Yeah. Because, I mean, when he did play, he was incredibly productive. Granted, it was really just against the Dolphins. But, I mean, it's the best receiver in the NFL. They couldn't beat the Dolphins without him. That's a good point. That is in Foxborough. (laughs) So... I don't know if this is over. I, it, it was a weird feeling after the game. I got, I, I went home after the game, um, and was kind of watching some of the post game stuff after I'd calmed down from like yelling in my uh, neighborhood. But I, I just, I, like, it was weird. Like, it, it was, it, he didn't like Brady's usually. I saw Seth Wickersham make this point. Brady's usually just either steaming or like almost physically ill. He's so upset when he loses a playoff game, and this was just very kind of at peace with what happened. He just kind of thought he, he didn't seem to really dislike the fact that, that his future was unknown. Are they actually going to let him walk? You can't. You, you can talk about it. You can't let him walk. I mean, but the thing is, I mean, how many suitors would he have? It's the same thing with Eli Manning, although objectively a, a better quarterback. But, I mean, how many teams would take a 43-year-old quarterback who's been dependent on Bill Belichick for the last few years? I mean... If you're a team that Indy, really maybe to get who Indianapolis maybe, but they, I mean, jury's kind of still out on Brissett. Yeah, they have to figure out what they're going to do there. Uh, it looks like Denver may commit to Drew Locke. I, I don't know. Uh, that's the thing is, for the last couple of years, the NFL's kind of been set at quarterback across the board. It feels very Chargerish because they need to get butts and seats in that stadium. And he could actually help them because they're ready to win right now. Uh, that would actually, that would, I would, if I had to guess, that would make the most sense. I don't know if that's going to happen or if that's a realistic possibility, but that's a good team, warm weather place. Like, 
really kind of in win now mode. That would, I guess that one would make the most sense because you're going to assume they're probably going to move on from Phil Rivers. Phil Rivers had the classic like teary eyed press conference that, that made it seem like the end when they lost in week 17. So it was an eerie, eerie kind of post game deal with the Patriots. Not, not normally like their, their normal ones at all. As for the game itself, I, uh, that was, that was not how that game, I pictured that game going. I really did think the Titans were going to win. I thought they were a better roster. I thought they had a better uh, quarterback at the time, honestly. And I thought they had better running backs and wide receivers. And I would have never guessed when they went. Like, the game really turned when they held New England to a field goal down by the goal line with about four minutes to go in the second quarter and then turned that into driving all the way right down the field for a touchdown to take a – 14 to 13 lead so in that instance instead of it being 17 to 7 uh you now have a 14 13 lead and obviously no one i mean no one scored again i I know you had the pick six at the very end that sealed it or whatever um which i was trying i'm always trying like i was trying to figure out how that was a bad beat but it wasn't but if you had a patriots teaser like if you tease them down to plus one and a half or two uh that that is no longer uh good after that pick pick six (laughs) but I, I, the second half was just really kind of a a, a struggle offensively. Uh, I've been saying it for weeks. I think Derrick Henry is the best running back like for your buck in the NFL. Uh, once that guy gets going, you can't tackle him. It's it really is kind of incredible to watch. Who's better? <clears throat> who's better? Who? Than Derrick Henry? Who's better? Oh, I, I don't know. I mean, there's there's all kinds of great backs in the league, and there's so many different running styles. It's really a subjective argument. Like Kamara's really, Kamara's really good. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think who well, else. Yeah, man, he was really bad. Well, I guess we'll get into them. Not good this season, really. And part of it is he got hurt and wasn't the same post injury. But Kamara's not in that category right now. Yeah, he's not. But you put. You, Based on what he did last year, like he, he's probably still up. Dalvin Cook, really good, as we'll get to in a second. Uh, the Ezekiel Elliott. But what's interesting about Henry is this is such a cliched thing to talk about, to say when you talk about running backs, but he really is kind of like a bowling ball rolling down a hill. Because like the more he gets going, he gets like 10 yards downfield, and you're like, oh, this guy's actually fast. And you can't bring him down with one person. And then if you really let him yeah. get, you know, 10, 15 yards downfield, it's kind of over. Like, he, he has the speed to get away. It's He's fun to watch. Um, for Ryan Tannehill had a very bad stat line, but I actually thought for the most part he played pretty well. He made a couple of almost horrible mistakes. But, like, for the way that game went, I thought he made, he made plays. He made a couple of throws when he absolutely had to that kind of helped him ice the game. Um I was convinced that game was ending 16 to 14 when they just kept punting it back and forth. And then the Titans ran some time off with five minutes left. And I was like, they probably might need that time back at the end. I didn't envision that game ending for all intents and purposes, it being over at 14, 13. The second half was very shocking to me. I, I, I did not figure that's the way it ended. but uh, what a win for the Titans. That's an interesting, uh, interesting team going forward. Cause uh, they they're playing a lot better than the second half of the year defensively. And that, to me, in that game, they looked a lot more like a championship coward defense that you saw in the first half of the year. Henry was really good. They don't really have much of a weakness right now, but that said, they're going to play the uh, Baltimore Ravens next week. I saw Vegas has already put that in nine-point line, so not really giving the Titans much of a chance. Certainly understandable, but uh, that's kind of a franchise-changing win, to be completely honest. Because like when they beat the, the Chiefs a couple years ago, remember they fired their coach after that. It just felt very fluky, and then they got blown out in Foxborough. Like, this feels like they have something here if they can find the quarterback, and they may already have it. 
Yeah, I was going to ask you, what do they do there? I don't what should they like do there? Like a Brissette type deal, like two years, forty million, something like that. Maybe not even that high, thirty-five, somewhere in that teens range, where you pay him well because he's playing well. And if this turns out to be kind of like, because you've seen this in flashes in Ryan Tannehill's career before, just not really for extended stretches, and a lot of that's been health related. Uh, if he stinks, then you know you're not really bound to him long term yet. But I, I still, I still think he needs a prove it deal. But I think he deserves a shot. I, I would, uh, I would actually kind of be disheartened if the Titans like kind of went in, and I don't think they're going to do this. Kind of trade it up to try to go get a quarterback in this draft. I think you got a pretty good one right there. And if he, like I said, if he's bad, you know, I guess worst case scenario, you could try to get a quarterback in next year's class. And depending on an announcement today, that could be Tua and Trevor Lawrence, something like that. But I don't know. I think he's pretty good. He's not that old compared to the scale of the way they're paying, I, the way quarterbacks are playing to this day and what age. So I don't know. I think he just needs a Brissette like prove it deal and we'll kind of see what happens. Um, but I don't know. What a day. I was pretty jacked up about it. The uh, oh, We know. The, the, uh, the, um, the uh, first game of the day, not as interesting. Uh, classic. Well, I, I say that. It was actually more interesting in its own way. Uh, it was a uh, kind of a, uh, a rock fight to a degree in the second half. Uh, classic Booker McFarlane game. I don't really know where to start with this one, but uh, it feels like the Bills were the better team, but the Texan Deshaun Watson, as we kind of said on this podcast on Friday, uh, just kind of willed themselves to to a win. Uh, but that game really could have gone either way. Like if the Bills were out, I almost feel like the Bills should have won that, but didn't. I mean, when you're up 16 and nothing in the second half in the NFL, you should win the game. Uh I, I don't know what Buffalo does from here because it's it's still way too early. Well, this is year two for Josh Allen, if I'm remembering correctly. Yes. But he feels like he is who everybody thought he was. Looks good in shorts. A lot of arm talent, tall, athletic, inconsistent, inaccurate. And it's not fair because he doesn't have the weapons around him, but it, it just feels like the Bills are a, a, a good quarterback away from being really good. I agree. But can, like, can he make that jump? Because, again, what's interesting about evaluating quarterbacks now is some come in and have such immediate success. It's like you gauge everyone on that scale, like the Lamar Jacksons, the Patrick Mahomes. I'm not saying everyone has to be that. I'm just talking about like how right. it kind of clicks and works immediately. Like it used to be. You know, if you start, you're supposed to kind of stink for three years, you know, two, three years ish, and you're kind of supposed to start to see improvements year three, year four, then year four, year five, you kind of take a step towards contending. But, you know, in the world we live in today, it's kind of an impatient, more impatient process. And understandably so with the amount of money that's put in this now. But I guess, can he take that leap? Like, I think Josh Allen, what you see from him next year will kind of be very telling as to where he, which way his career goes. He does a lot of really nice things, and he makes – they're such a goofy team to watch because it's a bunch of 5'10 receivers, a tiny running back, and then this gigantic running quarterback. Like, they're, they're a very hilarious team to actually watch play football. But, like, if you actually get him a big-bodied receiver, like, can he shore up some of the inaccuracy stuff? Um, some decision-making is just bizarre. That uh, lateral he had at the uh, towards the end of regulation where they were just trying to – were they trying to go down and tie it? I can't remember uh yes yes they yeah, were I think At, they were now 1960 and then he, he he gains like 15 20 yards then he just inexplicably tries to lateral it to dawson knox to who his credit bats the football out of bounds uh pretty heads up play there but like it's kind of like what are, what are you doing 
Like some of the decision making is kind of baffling. Yeah, and like that's a bad decision at every level. Like that's not something you do in college that you have to learn to not do in the NFL. That's just, I mean, pee wee football stuff right there. Yeah, I, I did. So that some of that stuff is interesting, but they do have a really good defense. They they have seem to have a pretty good running back. Uh, again, I don't understand the five ten receiver thing. It seems like that was by design. I I would love to get an explanation on that. But uh, if they need a big bodied like DK Metcalf type receiver for him to throw to next year. Um, but that game was uh that game was a rock fight in the second half. Uh, the Bills almost won it in overtime. I mean, each team kind of the the Texans punted and the Bills are driving down. You kind of had a cra- uh, phantom uh, kind of crappy block uh, illegal blindside block thing that killed that Bills drive just over midfield because it looked like they were going to at least have a shot at a field goal, and then. That Deshaun Watson play that sealed the game was just absolutely bonkers. Like, I mean, that's just kind of Deshaun Watson in a nutshell, I would say. Yeah, that's just what he does. And what we knew, I mean, everybody knew going in that he was capable of making those kind of plays. He just, he finally did it. That's a guy that was running for his life for four quarters in overtime and still somehow found a way to win. It's impressive. Yeah, we uh we kind of called that one uh, as far as pick'em wise. Uh, but before we <laughs> final thought on that is I I or one of the final thoughts I Booger apparently so I was uh I was watching the end of this game at a place that did not have the volume, but I'm kind of perusing like the internet or uh, Twitter I should say just kind of kind of keeping up as well. And apparently when they were going at the end of regulation, yeah, the Bills did have kind of a chance to take a an outside chance to score a touchdown and win it. And apparently it was third and 10 with about 15, 20 seconds left, no timeouts, and they elected to go ahead and kick it. But apparently Booker McFarlane was suggesting that they run a draw and then spike it uh, on third and 10 with no timeouts. Uh, By my math, unless you get more than 10 yards, a spike would be turnover on downs because you only get four downs in this sport. I I, 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 (laughs) – I try not to make fun of announcers because it's an incredibly hard job, and I think most of them do a good job. But man, like that's your that's your Monday night football crew on your lone playoff game. Like that's ESPN's Super Bowl. I mean, that's that's their Super Bowl essentially. That's their NFL showcase of the year, and you've got that going on in the most crucial moments. I mean, but the thing is, and I, I love how people say that. Oh well, you know, if you had a microphone in front of your face, you wouldn't do better. That's objectively true. Like I would not do better than Booger McFarland. I'd be terrible. But there's at least a dozen guys on their payroll already that would be better. That's yeah, the, that's what we're talking college about. Games way better. Cole Kublik, for example. Like throw him on there with no prep, and he would definitely not say on third and ten, run a draw and then spike it. Herb Street and Blackwood would be better too. Either one to pick, take your pick of those guys. And I doubt they got. I don't even think they watch. I'd say I'm not speaking for them here. I don't think that they're even that big of NFL gurus. But you could just simply just the the mechanics of calling a football game. You could do better than that. And I, I think I've, I've tried to figure out what Booger's thing is for the last like year and a half. And now you're seeing all these Booger like burner Twitter accounts and memes or whatever. He just states either. Strips over himself and misspeaks, a la what we were just talking about. You know, Minneapolis miracle going against the Vikings—that's an all-time favorite of mine. Uh, or he just points out the completely obvious thing on every single play, like the most obvious thing, so obvious you're not even thinking about it because it's just kind of a, a subconscious. Like, yeah, of course. Like, 
you know, yeah, there's one it's thing, third and yeah. ten. They need ten here, Tess. Yeah, when they uh, they decided to go for two, and he's like, oh, this is a great move because instead of it being 18-17, it would be 19-17 or whatever. It's like, yeah, well, we can do math, man. Exactly. We all know what's going on. Like, You don't have to point that part out. Like, Tell me the play design or tell me something a little more nuanced than, yeah, this is why they're doing this, so they can get up three instead of one. Like, thank you, booger. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I've kind of figured out, and I'm I'm, I'm sure I'm one of the last one to this, but I guess that is kind of his thing is just point out the abundantly obvious in every game. So I guess uh, nothing gets by that guy. But we did pretty good on the uh, LB's pick'em in uh, one game in that regard. Uh, yeah, exactly. But before we get to the back half of these games, I'd say I would like to tell you the podcast brought to you by LB's. We had a pretty good weekend if you listen to us mostly, except for one on the LB's Pick'em, LB's University Avenue, across from Kroger, best place in Oxford to get meat. You've got the Lane Kiffin special going on right now, six-ounce bacon wrap filet for 10 bucks. Keith Carter special, eight-ounce bacon wrap filet, 15 bucks. He's got all kinds of plate lunches, daily specials. They've got sausages, uh, some mushroom sides. You can go in there. He's always got some kind of daily plate lunch going on. You can go eat lunch, then decide what you want to throw on the grill later. Uh, Greg's awesome. He's got the gambling locks. He's got the meats, best place in Mississippi to get meat. The one we kind of whiffed on, and I would say everyone whiffed on, actually read a uh, a story on ESPN's Chalk, their like kind of gambling wing, that 87% of the money at Mississippi sportsbooks was on the Saints, or 90 actually, and 87 at the Caesars properties in Vegas were on the Saints. And obviously this is probably one of the more baffling wildcard results I wouldn't even say just this past year, the last couple of years. I uh, I don't even really know where to start here. Congrats to Kirk Cousins. He's uh he takes a lot of shit on uh on the internet and uh but he played played pretty well, I thought. But other than that, I'll let you have the floor here because I, I don't even know where to start with this one. Well, the Cousins, that one throw in particular to Thielen that basically won the game. I mean, that was just perfection. But if you look at his stat line, I- you can't blame a loss like this on one player, but Drew Brees is two turnovers. There's your difference. I mean, maybe you shouldn't have been in that position to be that close. I don't think Sean Payton called a good game, especially his third down play calling was was fascinating. And the interior of the offensive line just got smoked all game long. But, I mean, an awful interception from Brees right before the half in the two-minute drill, just threw it into double coverage for some reason to a receiver that wasn't open and it wasn't Michael Thomas. And then the fumble, going in to score to take the lead, um, just didn't protect the football and fumbled it away, and there's the difference in the football game. Like, (laughs) I jokingly tweeted that we just need to find another rule to change, and maybe it's the NFL overtime rules, and uh, that'll make us feel better. But uh, that's the difference. That was your football game. The bad interception, and then the fumble. Yeah, the fumble... And you, if, as much as you want to talk about bad announcing, I give credit here to uh, to Troy Aikman for kind of not shying away from that too. Because a lot of times, you know, when a guy gets stripped in the pocket, it's just kind of like, oh, that's bad luck. Like particularly when they're going to throw the ball and it gets knocked out at the back of their throwing motion before it comes forward. Like there's some stuff where like you can't really do anything about that. He gets his arm stripped from the blindside thing. But Troy Aikman pointed out there, like with the way that fumble happened, Breeze does kind of have. I mean, he. He has to do a better job there of 
taking care of the ball, knowing particularly given the situation of the game. And Aikman didn't really shy away from uh, from pointing that out at all and kind of, I mean, not bashing Drew Brees, but but really kind of hammering that point. Home. It's like, hey, that's on Brees. Like, you can't really make that mistake there. Um, it's surprising. Yeah, because a, a field goal ties it. So you don't need to go down there and score a touchdown. You just exactly. need points there. Exactly. You'll be ultra, like, not conservative, but cautious. There's a difference. And he wasn't. And I agree that kind of that really changed the game there because I actually thought the Saints were going down and I thought they were going to score a touchdown. And that's how the game was effectively going to end because Cousins and the Vikings got ultra conservative before that and kept giving it back to him. But I was uh, I was surprised by that. So and then you get to overtime. I, I Obviously, people made jokes about the rule changes and all that. I, I do. And I, I got really firmly got on this camp last year when. In the AFC title game, you had Mahomes and Brady uh, going back and forth. It was really one of the greatest just kind of quarterback shootouts like we've seen in a long, long time. And it ends in overtime because Brady just flawlessly go down the field. They score a touchdown, and there's no uh, there's there's no other – like the, Mahomes doesn't get a chance to possess the football. Um, so that was really kind of when I got on the camp of – they need to do something here because I, I think the game ending without one team getting to possess the football is a bad is a bad way bad for the sport. Look at you, just a, a typical Saints fan, just bitching about the refs after the game. <laughs> I unbelievable. I mean, I but don't you agree? Like it's it's it it it, it kind of stinks. Like that the Saints never got a chance and Dream Breeze never got to come back on the field. Yeah, that that's it was bad last year. It's bad this year as well. And I don't know how you fix it because they're already trying to alter the rules about field goal and stuff. And I guess there's an element of uh, don't give up that kind of a long pass to Adam Thielen and get scored on the way they did. But that's not how the NFL works. It's an offensive league. And I, I mean, of course, I would have liked to have seen Drew Brees go out there. But last year, as you mentioned, as the uh, objective observer, uh, not seeing Patrick Mahomes get a shot to go back at Brady, that, that kind of sucks, and maybe they'll adjust that. But um, you just sound like a typical Saints fan, man, just uh, <laughs> just trying to blame anybody else. It, 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 it's a shame, really. I, 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 don't know, uh, I don't know when you guys are going to learn. but It is the same thing here, though, in the sense that, like, that was enough – like, that was a really good game, and you're kind of like, I'd like to see the Saints try to come back down the field and answer here. And this was really not that difficult of a solution, I don't think, in terms of, like, like I get why they want to do it in the regular season. They want to get the games over with. They want to make these as short as possible. You know, it becomes a health and safety concern for the players and stuff like that as much as they kind of use the, uh, you know, player safety as kind of just a meat shield uh, behind to hide behind. The fact that they're doing Thursday night football games, all kinds of other stuff with their concussion issues. I get why they do it in the regular season. But you could tweak it. I mean, they already tweak it for the postseason to where, obviously, game can't end in a tie. Why not in the postseason just play another 10-minute quarter? That would be the most uh, logical and fair outcome, and it would probably produce the most drama. Just a 10-minute quarter, and that's how the game ends. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. I See, I don't mind the college one, but back it up to, like, the 50. That would be cool, too. I, that would be fine with that, too. And I agree. And the pros, like, make them get into field goal range. Like, your own 45, 50-yard line, something like something that. Like I like that as well. Um, it still doesn't else. excuse the fact that Brees turned the ball over twice. I mean, that, that, that just sucked yesterday. They, they have been playing so well offensively. And Sean Payton's been calling great games for the last few weeks. 
And, yeah, they got beat up up front. I mean, the, the Vikings pass rush, especially, again, on the interior. But Ryan Ramchek gave up a sack yesterday, which was his first one this season. Uh, so they really just got beat up up front. But the, the third down play calling a few times. And then Alvin Kamara, there's something wrong with him. Um, whether he's still nursing his injury or what, but the amount of times where he could have uh, maybe turned up field or fought for yardage uh, to extend drives to get first downs where he would instead just run out of bounds three yards short of the first down instead of trying to make a play. It's so frustrating because it's the playoffs now. Like, I understand when you're in Charlotte last week and you're beating them by 30 points and you run out of bounds short of a first down. But when you are uh, three points down in the second half of a playoff game and you get the check down and it's one-on-one, you can make a move or get physical and get a first down, and instead you run out of bounds three yards short. makes me want to pull my hair out. So you're thinking he's hurt and it just hasn't been disclosed? Well, he did get hurt earlier this year and missed some time. And I I wonder if he is either timid or that's still not 100%. Interesting. Yeah, because he doesn't look like the same player, and they really missed that. And, like, I mean, I guess you could argue, and I did, I, if I remember correctly, they kind of had to let one of them walk, but, like, they kind of miss Ingram as, like, kind of the uh, the yin and yang there. Yeah, and Murray's been good lately, but it, it's he's not the same. Right. He's not Mark Ingram. So, what? like, where do the Saints, what do you do from here? Is Breeze back? Like, is, do you run this back one more time? How many bites, like, I think, Aikman described it as bites at the apple. How many more shots are they going to get with this core? Um, well, Breeze is at the end of his contract. So unless they sign a new deal uh, in March, he becomes an unrestricted free agent. Now, I highly doubt that if he wants to play, they're going to let him walk, but they've got to sign him to a new deal. And that means you let Bridgewater walk more than likely because he's at the end of his deal as well. And somebody is going to want Teddy Bridgewater to come play quarterback for them. And I don't know what you do. I think largely the team is pretty weakness-free. I mean, if you really think about it, the secondary, they could probably use a little bit of help, but they did just draft a rookie last year that's played a good bit, and they signed Janoris Jenkins. They've just been so banged up back there. Same thing on the defensive line. Davenport will be back, and Sheldon Rankins will be back. They're pretty set everywhere, so maybe you – I don't know. If you like a quarterback in this draft that falls to you, you pick him and then – have him be the heir apparent to Breeze. I just, if he wants to play, you can't not sign him. But you've also got to pay Alvin Kamara maybe this offseason. You've got to pay Marshawn Lattimore maybe this offseason and Ramchek and Marcus Williams. And it's suddenly like, where's all this money going to come from? Because you've already got the richest wide receiver ever. Um, Cam Jordan has a big contract. Uh, Armstead has a big contract. It, at some point, you've got to like sacrifice dollars somewhere, and I don't know where you're going to do that. Yeah, and it's like, like just I feel like we keep saying this because the Saints keep having heartbreaking defeats. But does Breeze really want to go out like that? I mean, when I say go out like that, that dude has nothing to prove. I get he's a Hall of Famer. He's one of the best quarterbacks, three quarterbacks I've ever seen. And so, like, I, I'm not from that standpoint. Like, he has to come back to prove anything. But is that really what the last chapter, like, he wants it to be? Or do you think he'll want to run it back one more time? It certainly feels like he's going to want to run it back one more time. That's, I mean, you you said it here. And obviously, you and Haydad would know better than I. But, like, that just really sucks. Because, like, they were, 
that was the one result from Wild Card Weekend where I was kind of like, eh, like I don't really see it here. Saints are going to roll. It's going to set up a really fascinating game next weekend. They should have. Uh, they just, know, they, they just, didn't play well. Just one bad day like kind of kills you. But I guess that's what kind of makes the NFL playoffs interesting. I mean, all these games were kind of awesome in their own way. I would say without it, without a shadow of a doubt, the next one we're going to get to in a second is by far the worst for a number of reasons. But man, just a that sucks for the Saints because I, I like I would have I wanted to see Saints Niners, um, and I want to. I mean, obviously, I'd like the Titans to win, but I, I don't think they're going to win next week. And you're going to, in all likelihood, although I wouldn't count Deshaun Watson out ever, you're going to get the Mahomes-Lamar Jackson rematch in the playoffs, and it's going to be awesome. And it didn't have to be Saints-Niners. Like, if it was Packers-Niners and it was Rodgers and Garoppolo, that would have been cool too. And there's still a chance you get that. But, man, it just feels like we were robbed of a kind of heavyweight fight again because that first matchup between those two teams and the Dome where it just, I mean, either team could have won that game was was an awesome game, and it feels like we were robbed of that by Kirk Cousins' Midwestern <laughs> self. Well, and Sean Payton's timeout mismanagement. What the hell was the end of the game where you've got two timeouts, and you use one, so you've got the two-minute warning and then one more timeout. You waste 50 seconds off the clock. You get, and it was on Alvin Kamara, you get a illegal procedure penalty, with or whatever you want to call it. They, they ruled it a false start. Uh, so instead of calling a timeout, to have a 10 second run or to avoid the 10 second runoff, you let them run 10 seconds off. Yeah, I didn't get that at all. I mean, it's not like you don't have Drew Brees. And even though, look, he had a turnover and interception, but still, at some point with 20 seconds left, you can take a couple of shots at the end zone to try to score before you set up that field goal. And maybe he just wanted to go to overtime and figured that they were going to win there. But why don't you try to win the football game? Before you have to kick that tying field goal to send it to overtime, you've already you've got the timeout. Like he took a timeout into overtime with him, and guess what? You can't use them there. They give you two more. Right, and so that's what I was telling my roommates as we were watching this on the couch. I was like, "Wait, I don't understand what they're doing because with, if you took the timeout with twenty-one seconds to avoid the ten-second runoff, you could still take. Like in my opinion, you could still even if it if, if you kind of messed up and got tackled in bounds." 21 seconds is enough time to probably get on the ball and spike it with two or three seconds left. Absolutely. Like I, I feel like Without they could have tackled in bounds one time. And so that's why I didn't understand the 10-second runoff. And, I, I mean, you said maybe he wants to go to overtime, but who in the world wants to? Like, I, I would never leave it up to NFL overtime to decide a game. So, like, I, I didn't get that at all. That was bad. It Man, it's like, so simple. Like all you could have, all you needed to do with 21 seconds is throw something quick to the sideline, and if you complete it, you've got what 13 seconds left because those are really quick plays. You take one shot at the end zone, throw it up into the corner where it's either caught or it's out of bounds, and then you kick your field goal. Like that, that seems so simple. And I don't know. It's kind of the opposite of what you've seen from Sean Payton because as great as a coach as he is. It feels weird to critique him, but it's one of the critiques it seems like that there is legitimate of him is sometimes his over-aggression and his uber-aggressive nature kind of coaches the Saints out of games sometimes, or it works to their detriment. But that was actually the complete opposite. That was weirdly and inefficiently conservative. I that I didn't get that at all, but that really sucks again because uh, Saints were probably one of the two best teams in the NFC, and you're out of it on the first weekend, so now... like. 
Vikings well, it's all the refs' fault, and they need to change rules. And I, I guess we should get to the end of the game there. It looked like OPI to me, to be completely honest. But with I'm fine with, with the no call. Yeah, with the way it's been all year, it would have been strange to call it and like have the end of the game kind of be called back that way. But like, isn't there a part of this? Like, I, I'm not baiting you into complaining about it here. I swear, but isn't there a part of this where? They did this to they made this rule to appease the Saints. The refs didn't want it, so almost their form of protest is not overturning anything. But biggest game of the year, like OPI, like I isn't this the t- the, the picture perfect type of time they're supposed to overturn stuff like that? Like <laughs> Well, and they don't let you challenge things. And apparently they said they re- reviewed it, and I don't know if I buy that or not, but uh, you can't challenge things in overtime. That would have been poetic justice, though, is for them to award an OPI that preserves the game for the Saints a year after they got completely screwed. But, I mean, it was a a mismatch, and they were both kind of hand-fighting and stuff. And I I see, like, if they would have dropped a flag, I don't know if anybody could have complained about it. But at the same time, like, if Jared Cook were to have caught that pass, I'd be screaming about it not being pass interference. So... And the effort of consistency, I've got to say that that wasn't pass interference either. They they need to take that rule away, though. Like, it, it was it's a failure. It, it was, was a flop. It was dumb just take the, it away. Yeah. It should have never been implemented. I mean, I remember talking about it this summer. Like, it's not this complicated. Uh, add one more official up in, up in a press box. And when something's obvious, they chime down. Hey, guys, you missed one. Fix it. That's all you got to do. Yeah, I, that, that rule's got to go. That's got to be the end of that. I, it'll be interesting, actually, this offseason to see if they actually do that because there's no way the league likes this because they never end up looking good no matter which way the call ends up going. Um, last game of the, the weekend was kind of the uh, least eventful one. Uh, good moment for DK Metcalf, though. How about that? He has kind of the monstrosity that was that touchdown catch and then basically the walk-off diving catch in the game. Got some nice pub by Collinsworth at the end. A lot of good face time. Collinsworth had him as the number seven pick in the draft, he said. Um, but kind of like a cool cul- culmination moment for Metcalf there. Um, but, I mean, it kind of reinforces what every one of us down here thought all along and kind of shows just – Except for one. Imp- Except imp- for one. He wasn't uh, a top ten player in the state. Don't forget that. I always, always forget that take, but love to see it. Uh, people will love to uh, recycle that one on back on the interwebs. But kind of be cool. But it kind of reinforced what we all thought with those guys coming out of school. Is like you thought. I was actually a little more unsure of Metcalf having professional success, but it was mostly health 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 related. I can't talk today. I uh, I, I didn't buy into the whole three cone thing, and I was like, look, I watched this guy go get balls in the red zone for three years. Uh, he's pretty good and can help an NFL team if he can stay healthy. I was pretty sure Brown was going to have a, a great bit of success. Uh, early on, particularly with the way the Titans are using him. And I kind of thought that would be the general way they used him. But good moment for DK there. I know we're kind of starting backwards, but uh, that was kind of the culmination of uh, what was had to have been a kind of miserable couple hours hours for him last spring. Yeah, it's it's just amazing. I, I cannot believe a guy that's six foot three and 235 pounds and runs a 4'3", uh, 40, and is stronger than everybody and bigger than everybody is a successful NFL wide receiver. I, I can't believe Ninth it. receiver taken. Which, and that, that shows a few things. It, that NFL front, os- front offices overthink things. Um, but the people that were all, already labeling the dude a bust, it's like 
well, he fell in the draft. Eight receivers were taken ahead of him. So any success that he does have should be surprising to you who thought that he wasn't going to be worth a shit. But the people like the, the three cone drill thing is what everybody talks about in when what team would have used DK Metcalf in the role that people were saying he could not play? You know what I mean? They were talking, well, you know, he's he just doesn't have that lateral quickness to go over the middle. Well, why would you ever let him do these little like choice routes over the middle anyway? He's bigger, stronger, and faster than every defensive back in the league. Why would you ever make him run like little in routes and stuff? You would never do that. So the I, uh, thing that he wasn't I, good at was the thing that he was never going to be used for. So that's like saying, well, you know, he can't throw, so he shouldn't be wide receiver. I, t- I couldn't agree more. I was actually thinking about this uh, the other day because I was reading a couple articles about him that was like he, he fell to the perfect team. And it's like I agree with the first part of what you're saying because obviously who wouldn't want to play with Russell Wilson, veteran team that's ready to win now. But it's like they went to the perfect team because of the way they were going because the way the Seahawks use him. But to your point, that was my initial reaction. It's like, oh, how, how, what other way are you going to use him? I mean, that's what he's. That's what he's built for. I hate using this comparison because they're not the exact same player, but it looks Megatron-like. He looks like Calvin Johnson at times to where it's like, hey, I'm bigger than you. I, we're going to throw this ball up to me, and I'm going to catch it because you're not as big, fast, or tall as me. And you saw that exactly the other – I mean, that's how they've used him all year, and you saw it in that game. I mean, they threw a deep ball to him. He's got ridiculous extension, scores the touchdown, and then for the game ender, they just threw it up to him and asked him to go make a play and – he did. He's a uh, he's a lot of fun to watch. I, I'm happy for him. He's a good dude. Um, but the rest of this game just kind of eh. Like the Seahawks took care of business. Good for them. Uh, we kind of got robbed of Carson Wentz. Talk about a guy who can't catch a break. That really stinks. I didn't notice in real action. I don't know where I fall in the clowny hit. I definitely did not realize what happened in real action. I didn't even know he was hurt when they showed him walking to the locker room. I was like, wait a minute, what's going on here? And then they show the replay. I, I don't know. Was the hit dirty? I don't. I, I I can't. I can't really form my own opinion on this. I don't know. Like he comes from behind him. He does seem to kind of drive down toward his head. I don't really know. In super slow mo, it looks dirty, but football's not played in super slow mo. I, I I guess for some reason people cannot realize that you cannot lower your shoulders without your head coming with them. It's kind of attached to them. So I mean, how can you? Bring like if he's going in for a tackle, he's got to lower his shoulders to tackle a guy with his shoulders and his arms, and your head comes with it. I, I don't know how people can't put that together. Uh, maybe it was dirty, but it's football, man. Sometimes that just happens. And uh, takesman Danny Cannell said that uh, that was another example of Carson Wentz being injury prone. A 280-pound man at full speed uh, hitting the back of his head means he's injury prone and like that's been a valid criticism but yesterday's probably not the example of that oh canal is probably sharpening that arrow all week just ready to unload it no matter what happened like i mean someone could have pulled out a uh, a sledgehammer and taken it to wince's ankle on the field that they got from the sideline and he probably would have still fired off that take anyway <laughs> but I agree. I mean, that's just, I, I don't know. I, I kind of feel bad for this guy because we talked about this, I think, leading into this matchup. is like, like it, 
any like the victory lap for the Carson Wentz stands after the last couple weeks of the regular season was probably well warranted and well deserved because obviously dude proved he's a generational talent like he was probably going to be the league MVP the year he got hurt and they ended up winning the Super Bowl he got them home field but didn't seem to get any of the credit and I mean the guy never played in a playoff game and now he has this happen to him again. I just kind of feel bad for him. And the dude literally can't stay healthy. But again, in this instance, it's not really his fault. But I, I feel bad for him. Can't really catch a break. And then, really, I thought Mc, Josh McCown played okay. Cool story. Finally gets to play in a playoff game. But you kind of felt they really didn't have a shot once once Wentz went out. Like that, this game was over. It was just a matter of how. Yeah, and <laughs> McCown tried his hardest, man. I mean, that, that's. That sucks that that is the first way you play your uh, first playoff game in your 40s, but uh, you tried. Yeah, he finished his 18-24 for 174, no touchdowns, no picks, but he was sacked six times, which was really kind of the difference in this game. He was okay. Um, I guess there's some kind of poetic, because I imagine this is it for him. I mean, they basically they yanked him out of retirement to come back for one more year. He finally gets to play in a playoff game. There's some, I guess, cool poetic part of that about that, but Obviously, the game itself sure. very frustrating. But, I mean, the better team won here. Seattle got kind of screwed having to go across the country to do the, to go play this game. So, I mean, better team wins here and sets up an interesting matchup in Green Bay next week because uh, you want to talk about a narrative that's going to start getting crafted. If Russell Wilson and this kind of ragtag bunch, rookie wide receiver, okay defense, you know, kind of fourth, fifth string running backs and Marsh, what's left of Marshawn Lynch, if they go beat Aaron Rodgers in Lambeau, which I think they have a good shot of doing, and you want to talk about the crosshairs of the sports media wrath being on someone? Aaron Rodgers is going to catch the brunt of it. I'm just saying, good luck. He better win that game. Man, man uh, yeah, he better. And if Russell Wilson pulls that off, he's the best quarterback in the NFL right now. I, I don't. I'd already say he is. I know Jackson's the new shiny toy, and he's having an unbelievable season. I, I agree with all the accolades. I get the narrative stuff. I get he he should win MVP. But man, you take Russell Wilson off the Seahawks, and they're four and twelve generously like he's the best quarterback I could I, like if you're asking me to go watch one guy play football right now like if I got one ticket to buy it's him and it's not even close he's unbelievable and Bill what was it Bill Polian got ripped to shreds for uh voting for Wilson as his MVP instead of uh Lamar Jackson yeah you <laughs> I mean, come it on. It felt people. petty, though. It felt petty. It is. He, it was a little petty, but there were two other people that did it too, and they got roasted as well. It's like, I mean, Russell Wilson's having a career year. Like, that team would be awful without him. It's okay that Lamar Jackson, your favorite person, did not get an MVP vote. He's still going to win the thing. Exactly. And, like, honestly, if you're actually talking about most valuable player, and I'm, I'm borrowing from a cowherd argument here, but I agree with it. It's probably Russell Wilson because the uh, you know if you plug another quarterback in on the Ravens, they're probably still pretty good. I know Lamar's an integral piece of kind of how they run things and they built everything around him. But like you take Russell Wilson off the Seahawks and they're 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 probably having a top three four pick in the draft this year. So yeah, I, I mean I, I think it's probably the better vote. But I get the narrative, I get all that, I get that Lamar Jackson deserves it, uh, whatever. But yeah, I mean he he's unbelievable. It was a. Uh, Solid wild card weekend, and then you've got another solid round of games uh, this weekend that I guess we'll get to a little bit later in the week. Um, we'll uh, get into this basketball game a little bit. Before that, remind you again, go to LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. 
Greg's got the meats, all kinds of deals going on right now. A couple of different size bacon wraps filet for 10 and 15 bucks, respectively, eight and six ounce filets. He's got custom cuts. He's always experimenting with some really good sausage. He's got uh, sides. They've got mushrooms. He go, uh, he's got daily plate lunches. You can kind of go in there and grab some lunch and maybe decide what you want to throw on the grill later. But it's the best place in Mississippi to get meat by far. We appreciate Greg and his sponsorship of this podcast. Definitely go see him. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Uh, Ole Miss played a basketball game this weekend during the uh, – I don't know if you followed through on our pact of what we were going to do, but uh, – a buddy of mine and myself watched the Ole Miss game at my house, um, and we gave it the smaller TV because the uh, playoff game was on, but the smaller TV had the volume because I couldn't listen to Booger. Uh, so the whoever announced, and I can't remember the guy's name, the uh, Wichita State game, congrats. You uh, did a better job than the Monday Night Football crew. Game itself, <laughs> not good. I mean, we're, I, wrote, I wrote about 850 words worth of thoughts on supertalk.fm that you can read from the uh, just takeaways from this game. And uh, not to rehash them because I would like you to go read it if you want to uh, find out more. But kind of big takeaways here. 13 games, sample size is more than enough. These, uh, this is a bad offensive team, and I don't necessarily know how they fix it. Yeah, and especially highlighted when – guys get in foul trouble when we have to take Buffin out two minutes into the game because he takes two early fouls and then Tyree gets himself into foul trouble. They don't have that one guy that they've had over the years, uh, whether it be Marshall Henderson or Stephon Moody or um, Jarvis Summers, who was at times just you give him the basketball, he'll go get you a bucket. Uh, they, they don't have that guy. And, and Terrence Davis obviously was that guy a year ago and, uh, he's a bigger loss than I guess almost everybody gave it credit for because you're seeing what he's able to do in the NBA already. Um, they just don't have that that bucket getter right now that can stop the bleeding in games. And even as good of a scorer as Tyree can be right now, uh, he's not that guy, or at least hasn't been that guy this year for them when uh, Wichita State buries a three that you can just give him the ball and, and even like just in isolation, just let him go get a bucket they don't have that guy right now. And they get in foul trouble, and they give up too many good looks by Wichita State's best player at the perimeter, and then they don't have anybody that can take over and scoring on a consistent basis. It's not a good recipe for anything at all. No, I mean, you were toasting this game. What they fell into the early hole, because as you mentioned, Buffin picks up two fouls, Tyree did two, and this team's not designed for either one of those guys to be sitting on the bench for long stretches. Tyree giving him passes is the wrong word. Tyree, this hasn't really been as much of an issue as Buffin. This is a reoccurring issue that's that's happened a lot over the uh, over the early course of the season, and it, it has to change if he's going to kind of take an increased role in this team. But I mean, they were playing dude, Colin Franco Miller, and Sammy Hunter. Uh, I think they played a combined fifty six minutes for the game, and I think all three of them played double digit minutes in the first half. I mean. You're as a friend of mine texted me that used to work for basketball for uh, Andy Kennedy. Texted me, he was like, "You're just not scoring with that lineup." I mean, that's just kind of, kind of the reality of it. They're playing Franco Miller right now because Bryce Williams. They can't get him to defend. They could use his scoring off the bench, but they can't get him to defend. Uh, Bryce Williams also did not make this trip with a groin injury that I am told is pretty minor, um, and I think they'll have they expect him to be ready for A and M. But they did not bring him on the trip for this game, so they were already shorthanded. 
you're getting into a bench that struggles to score. It's just not a recipe for success. Like Ole Miss's starters have to be good uh, because this bench is young. This bench is inexperienced, and you don't have a lot of scoring off of it. So you, it puts an increased stress on the start on the starting five to be good and be productive. So if you know the starting five gets off to slow starts and a couple of them get in foul trouble and you're already down when these three offensively challenged guys come into the game, like I mean, good luck. I mean, that's that. This is exactly what's going to happen each and every time. And so, as far as what like the first five they run out on the floor, like I would say the one positive here is Hadim C is now scored in double figures, and I believe is it six or seven straight ball games kind of highlighted by that 20 point performance in Jackson, um, a team that kind of lacked a consistent post threat of most for most of the early part of the season. He's sort of kind of evolving into one, but he does disappear for stretches. He grabbed five rebounds in this game, had 12 points. I mean, outside of that, they just, I mean, Tyree's beginning to shoot better, but he's not really elevating guys around him. They're not getting scoring as much scoring as they would like from Devontae Shuler, who I believe is now at like 10.2 points per game. Like we were talking, we were talking about it earlier this season. He was going to have to have an uptick in scoring. Like those points that you lose from Terrence Davis and everything he creates in transition and his shooting ability and all that was going to have to come from somewhere. And for the first five games of this season, you saw an uptick in Devontae Shuler scoring and it's really fallen off since I think he, I believe in a media opportunity while I was on vacation, he uh, kind of alluded to the fact that uh, alluded to the fact that he's been dealing with a foot injury, and that may play into some of it. But bottom line, he's, he they, they've got to find more scoring, and it, I, I'm kind of looking there first more than anything because Blake Henson's played uh, kind of up and down, kind of still trying to get acclimated from his uh, injury at the start of the year, and then you really just can't count on Buffin at all. So, I mean, where is this offense coming from? I don't know, but at least they have, or what should be. Uh, an easy start into SEC play on Tuesday. I mean, Texas A&M, they stink out loud. So uh, if you're going to do any quick correction uh, to start SEC play, this is the way to do it. And then Arkansas, who's just really freaking good right now, um, th- that'll be uh, just another test. At some point, they've got to start winning some of these games if they want a shot at the tournament. But I think, I guess to your point, it's more important that they find a way to generate offense uh, because the tournament's not really in the cards right now the way they're playing anyway. No, they're going to have to change something fundamentally they do in the half court. And it's going to be interesting to see in the next little bit, kind of the nugget I would leave you with here is it's going to be interesting to see in the next little bit kind of how Kermit Davis changes what this team does to generate offense and more offense in the half court. I mean, you're looking at their last, I'll go to the last six games, uh, 58 points. He got 83 against Bakersfield, 82, 84. So against the, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say against quality opponents, they're not scoring. I mean, they scored 54 in this game. You know, they struggled against Oklahoma State, struggled a little bit against Memphis. Though that game was kind of up and down. But it's going to be interesting to see how Kermit Davis kind of changes what he does with this team to kind of generate more offense in the half court. I don't know if that's playing through buffing. I, I don't know if that's running more quick hitting action for. Uh, Tyree off the ball and maybe some for Schuler, but something's got to give because they, they've got to find a guy to cre- consistently create offense. I would lean towards having it be the first two buffing and then a lot of quick hitters with Tyree off the ball, but something's got to give because they're not a good enough defensive team uh, to kind of overcome these mighty offensive struggles. Uh, kind of closing thought here, as you mentioned, they're nine and four coming going out of SEC play and coming into SEC play they have one really good win that's really going to carry a lot of weight and it's Penn State and they were lucky to get it to be fully honest but they do have it all four of their losses come to NCAA tournament teams Oklahoma State Butler 
Memphis, and Wichita State, all in all likelihood going to be in the NCAA tournament. So nothing that hurts them, but they're going to have to stockpile wins in what appears to be a watered-down SEC. And that's kind of a double-edged sword here because, one, you're going to have chances to stockpile wins, as I mentioned. You start with Texas A&M, you start, and then you go with Arkansas, Florida, LSU, a little bit tougher stretch, but not anything too bad. But at the same time, that's also more chances for RPI kind of, or I say RPI net pitfalls for a team that doesn't exactly bring its own energy on a given night. So, like, I don't know what what you would prefer here: a tougher schedule to where you're kind of playing a someone that can run you out of the gym on any given night, or just a chance to stockpile some wins if you kind of actually bring it and 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 focus and actually kind of take care of the business you're supposed to. I don't know which way they prefer it, but. Um, I mean, this is probably a 10-11 win task if you're really talking about feeling solid about the tournament, is it not? Yeah, that's what they have to do. I mean, and it's there for them, too. They just, like you've been saying, they just have to find a way to generate offense. I don't even know where that comes from, but uh, they have to figure it out quickly. Definitely. So um, they are back in action Tuesday night, A&M. I believe that is a 6 o'clock. No, 8 p.m., Tim. Excuse me. College Station. Um, so I'll have coverage of that at supertalk.fm. We won't have a pod between now and then, I don't believe. I was debating getting Bracken on for a little short 25-minute segment at some point, but I think I might do it after that game. Um, so anyway, back at it against Texas A&M. will be kind of interesting to see how this team kind of reshapes itself offensively um, as they wade into the meat of their SEC schedule. So that's about all we had from today. Um, we'll get into some stuff. I imagine there'll be some movement on the state coaching search as we get into the middle of the week. Um, so I guess we can hit on that then, but really nothing going on there now. We kind of interested to see what happens after Napier plays his bowl game today. But that's about all we have for you today. We appreciate you guys listening. Uh, NFL-centric show today. Uh, that was kind of what carried the sports sports headlines over the weekend. But we'll be back at it on Wednesday. Plenty to discuss for Ole Miss's basketball game against Texas A&M. I bet they win that game. Texas A&M's like a 200 net team. Not very good. Struggle terribly. Buzz Williams has his hands full in College Station right now. So we'll be back at it on Wednesday. I uh, remind you one more time, go to LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Best place in Mississippi to get meat. Go see Greg. He's awesome. He's got all kinds of great stuff. Go in there, get a plate lunch, decide what you want for dinner. Um, Just go check it out. He's got all kinds of great stuff there. If you're looking to go grill or do anything meat-related, go see him. He is the best. So uh, unless you got anything else, I'm going to get out of here, and we'll be back at it Wednesday. That's it, man. We'll talk then. Sounds good. We appreciate you guys listening. If you like what you heard, go like and subscribe, rate and review. We appreciate you guys listening, and we'll be back at it on Wednesday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.